Come on, come on, come on. to me <clears throat> I think I'm on I've not got any questions up yet and it's buggering me about here ah here we go ah oh, just reload it again oh! spinning disc spinning disc spinning disc click and <clears throat> Blank page. Why is it doing this? Oh, here we go. Wolfgang Tremel from Bad Homer. Good evening from Boston Lakes. Jeffrey Dobbs. Klaus Schultz, greetings from Dusseldorf. Have a merry Erdinger time. It's Fishing Friday. It's Erdinger Alcohol Friday moment. It's Friday at six o'clock UK time. Prost. Cheers. Slanjnava. Mmm. Oh, what up? In week, the beard's grown a bit, which I'm happy about. Oh, here we go, here we go, here we go. I'll just spin this back a little bit. Karin Alice Spangerberg from Deutschland, James Fraser from Inverness, Robert Ovenstone, <coughs> Mal Daniel from Falkirk, Jason Hind, Jeff Elgie, Jacqueline Creighton, Deborah Casey, I said Wolfgang Trivel there, George Hobbs, Terence Quinlan, Siobhan Freeman, hi Siobhan. Robert Olsen, Ian Fletcher, <coughs> yeah, take your breath before I start, tell me about it. Right. George Connor from Sprouse in the Borders, new job in, first new job in, first new job in 10 months, congratulations, bud. Right. Doug Patterson, yeah, I'll get back to that. John Thompson, West Lothian, Julian, John Van Hart, Cape Town, South Africa. Dominic Druze. <laughs> Hi, Dom. David McElroy, Don Fairman, Mandy Brain, Alan Simpson, Richard Keeler, Gordon Oaks. How much snow have we got? I don't know if I can get it. It's quite good. We had, we had about six inches the other day, and it was, um, it was, um, it was mental, absolutely mental. Oh, you see a wee bit. So I'm going outside now. I'm. See if I can get it. It's all very dark. Come on, lights. Cop your whack on that. You might be able to see in the distance. That's the fruit cages with the nets. And the nets are bulging with snow. And I should be out there brushing them, but the snow's solid. So apart from making the big, big pillows of snow bounce on the roof and then busting it, you can't really see that. Can you see that? 
mental. So I was like, bird feeders were all getting topped up the other day. I was watching the wee blackbirds and stuff. And um, everyone else. Bird food, Jesus. It's, um, it's not cheap. But I'm quite happy at spending the money on them, the birds because they look after me with the wee beasties. Bob Seath from Wet Scunthorpe, Richard Dickie Taylor, Clive Aspinall, <laughs> Favourite Fools and Horses episode, I don't know. John Watson, Simon Tangolese, East Lancashire, Piero Fontaine from New York, Park Parmenter, Big High from Wakefield, Ian Fletcher, Claire Barber from Plymouth, Kathleen Drake from Morgan Hill, California. Yes, it's all coming in today. And, uh, yeah, it's just been a mental week. The snow came down the other day and it was like, it was lovely. Because it's like, where we've got the bedroom, we've got these big French, we've got big French windows. Because as I say, we live through the back now that my mum's in, in our old room. And uh, so it was, uh, you know, I was opening up, just looking through the French doors and opening them up the other day in the big flakes. And it was just a whole landscape. I, there was, I put some things up on Instagram. I put a couple of wee vid, short videos up on Instagram. It's great because it makes the garden look really tidy. <laughs> when the snow falls, you go, it's actually quite a tidy garden. And then when it goes, it's like shit. And then I had, um, I had other aggro with uh, the central heating system. Oh, somebody asked about that. I forgot. Um, um, in fact, it's one of the questions from Tos. Tosh. Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, no. You're probably using these bloody peas to get it all mixed. I get them all arranged, you know. I, get, I arrange it. It's an old man thing. I arrange them all so that everything's going to be fine. It's not that crap. Blah, blah, blah. This is the one. And I arrange them all so, like, you know. I would never make a good newsreader. Yeah, it was, um. This is the kind of questions you get these days, right? Uh, what was Sean Michael Phil Flynn, as a former journeyman me mechanical insulator, I'm curious to know what type of lagging you use on your boiler condenser. <laughs> That's true. That's what you get now. It's not like, you know, please explain Grendel. It's like, what do you use in the boiler condenser for lagging? Yeah, so it's like, the, it went down, it went down for three days, and it carried on kicking off, and we had to get... Uh, somebody from uh, the gas company that sells us the LPG to come out and replace the regulator. But the thing was, I went out to the, it's like, yeah, I've got an underground tank, right? And there's like a, a, a manhole cover that goes over a, a round kind of piping piece, you know? And inside that piping piece are all the gubbins, you know, it's like the meters and stuff like that and the, and the, and the regulator that had broken. And when the, the guy come down the first time and I'd emptied it out, I took out three builders buckets of water out of this thing right it's only about maybe yawn across it's only about a foot and a half well two feet across two and a half feet maybe right three buckets of water and i don't know where the water's coming from and i was starting to freak out and i'm going is that the tap at the garage that feeds the the washing machines right and i'm going like if that's gone you know it's, and it was um and it looks like it's a broken field drain up on the, the roads because we've got a lot of water sitting around about. And because I'm slightly lower down the hill, it's all coming my way, right? It's not as bad as, as, as Manchester or Yorkshire by any stretch of the imagination. And I feel for anybody that's down there, you know, in that huge, ugly puddle of stuff. But I, I found it quite surreal the other day. It was on the news and there were, 
they were reporting from somewhere in Greater Manchester and I think they'd evacuated 2,000 people when they were there in the morning and it was snowing and the TV crews were there and there's a milkman going about and he's putting bottles on the doorstep and nobody had actually told them that there was nobody in the houses and he was just going about in the milk float putting milk bottles at all these empty houses. Like I say, it was completely surreal. But, um, but yeah, I feel, you know, uh, some of that water damage. I mean, it's horrendous and like the places that are getting pummeled again and again, you know. You know, it's like, you know, years running. I mean, uh, Denby Bridge and everything like that. It's crazy stuff. And uh, But yeah, so anyway, I had all this water in the, in the gas thing and the guy came along, replaced the regulator. I think that was on Tuesday or something, right? And then we got heating up again. And, um, and I had to empty another three buckets out of it. So it's three times I've actually emptied this, this thing. And it has to be a broken field drain. And it is a bit of concern because, you know, because I'm downhill from the big puddle. It's time to get the scuba diving gear out of the garage. Uh, see if it still fits. <laughs> but yeah, I was getting some... Um, I, did, I got some great uh, uh, cardio exercises today. <laughs> Samora said that she wanted um, some stuff for the garage. She needed to bring merchandise in, so I had to get the little trailer out. And it's like, like I said, it's five inches of snow. So I had to pull the little trailer all the way up through the snowdrifts, all the way to the garage. I had to empty it across in the bonfire in the next door field. Before I came back, I got filled it up, and then I had to pull this massive thing. And I'm pulling it behind me, like you know, with my hand in the handles and putting it forward. And going through my head was, if I if I slip on the edge, it's going to be bang. <laughs> Hello, welcome to Fishing Friday. But yeah, I mean, my heart was beating out there. And it was a it was a big pull, but I mean I felt good at the end of it, and uh, but I mean it's I, I quite like the snow. As I said, you know it tidies up the garden a bit. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this week I mean garden wise, planted two roses, moved a couple of bits and pieces, and but you needed a jackhammer to go out there and and and, and work. But it's uh, but I got some stuff done. But I mean this week's just been all shite. <laughs> it's like. I know some of you have already read the, the post. It's a long, it's a long read. You know, it's, it's three thousand words, and I started writing it on. I think it was Wednesday. I mean, uh, I've had I've had a hard week. I've, I've my hands up. I mean, I was raging on on Monday, Tuesday, and um, I think it was because I was just discovering more and more about the touring situation, and. Finally, I got a phone call back from Royal Mail on the on the Monday, and uh, it was just it was crazy. It was, um, you know, this is the guy who's my supervisor. He's a nice guy, Barry, and uh, seemingly he was off. Well, he had a, he had, a, a, he had COVID and a mix of different things, but <coughs> <coughs> so I'm talking to the guy who's my Royal Mail account supervisor, and I asked him. I said. What happens when a package leaves here, right? And I'm going to be writing all this up in the next big post that's going out, which is called The Second Whammy, right? And I'm going to be writing that this weekend. If Hibs start getting beat by St. Johnston, there'll probably be an extra thousand words, right? But I'm going into the office this week to write this up. But my Royal Mail guy, I asked him what happens to a package when it goes out to Germany, Holland, Poland, whatever. And he went, I don't know. 
seriously. He said, I don't, we don't really know what's happening. He said, I'm trying to contact people to find out. Now, remember, this is two weeks after the 31st. Right? And uh, I said, well, do, how do people get it? And some people have already answered, which thank you for getting back to me, because I need to know so that Simona and I can put things up on the website and saying this is what's happening. If your package is missing, this is what might happen. And um, so I was talking to the guy for Royal Mail, and as I said, you know, he asked me to ask you guys to basically tell me so I can tell him, so he can tell his supervisors how it works. And this is Royal Mail that owns JLS in Germany. Right? This is not, you know, <clears throat> Brexit has happened, right? I don't want any posts about here about saying I'm a denier or anything. Okay, right? Democratically, that was the vote in the UK, right? And I accept that, right? You know, I'm not going to change it. I'm not the sort of person that's going to be, you know, rattling down the Whitehall and, and storming the Citadel. But at the same time, you know, I want to have my opinion heard and I try and put it together in, uh, in a way that you can understand. I mean, as I said, when I wrote the, the piece that, that came up today, which was on touring, right, the first whammy, right, you know, I sent it down to William Luff, uh, my press guy, and he just went, this is really, really powerful. And uh, he wants to take it, and he's written up a, a synopsis that he's taken to mainline papers, main, mainstream media, like, you know, broadsheet papers. We're not interested in tabloids. It's like, take the broadsheets, because this is where it's at. This is business, right? You know? And it's a problem, you know, I'm a musician, I'm an artist. I just, I mean, it'd be great if I could just do songs and all the rest of it, right? You know, I manage myself because that 20% of management, and a management fee would mean that I probably couldn't tour and it would affect everything else that I do because it's a big chunk of stuff to take out. In the same way as that's why I sell direct because, you know, I don't sell as many albums as I used to in, when I was in EMI or forever. And, you know, the business has changed. And, you know, you might have a million Spotify sales and you might have 500,000, half a million full album plays, but we've only sold kind of about, I think it's 12,000 records or something. I, I, I haven't counted, but it isn't that much. It's not up to Feast the Consequences level yet on an album that has had reviews and, and the accolades it has. But um, as I said, it's, uh, you know, when I wrote the article, William said that, you know, he wanted to take it out and he's going with a thousand and he gave it to me. And I'm amazed at like, the last time I looked, which was just before I got into the car to drive down at the co-op and get some wine for later on, it was something like 70,000, uh, it reached 70,000 people. And it was, I went on it one time, reloaded, and it went up 30,000. And I think this is going to spread, and it should spread, you know, because it's important, you know. As I said, you know, Brexit has happened, you know. Personally, I never voted for it. I live in, I'll be coming up here that didn't vote for it. But, you know, it's there. So that's a democratic vote. Okay, can we please sort out the shit, please, right? So you've got what you wanted, right? But don't leave us all in the lurch. And, you know... And as I've said, one of the problems is that because, you know, it was deemed that the 31st of December was going to be the time, it had to be that time when we left because it was going to upset so many other people that had voted to, to, to leave, right? And it had to be that date and we needed to have this marker. They put together an entire settlement and seemingly, and I've heard this from, from reliable sources, a lot of the stuff in it was cut, copied and pasted into the documents, from old documents. And 
nobody had really kind of looked at all the joined up writing. And that's why we're in where we're in. You know, it's like, okay, it's Brexit, but how do we, how do we move forward? You know? And like I said, the visa thing is, um, the visa stroke permit thing. Because as I said in the mail, like for example, in Holland, you know, it's not really a work visa, but you've got to pay for a permit, right? And the permit is £250 per person, right? On a 10-man unit like I have, myself, the other musos, one backline tech, one sound engineer, one light guy, that's, you know, Radar and Angus and whoever we've got coming out in, in backline, production manager, right? Not even taking account the merchandise, there's 10 people, including me, because I've got to get a visa as well, obviously. 2,500 quid, right? And I, do, I don't know if this applies. This is what I've managed to find. And this is the problem. There's, there's, a, there's an, uh, an outfit that kind of come up and popped up and saying that, you know, they will sort out visas. And uh, great, you know, we're going to have to pay for that as, on top. I mean, obviously, you know, people that are putting this stuff together don't do it for free, right? So we've got to get the visas and pay for the advisors or the, the people who tend to get the visas. And, um, you know... And as I said in the post, for those who haven't read it, you can forget about playing one gig in Belgium. Right? You can forget about playing, you know, like for example, the Divan de Monde in Paris, you know, where we played. It was only about 800 people, 900 people. You can forget it. Because if I do one gig in France, in Paris, right, then the 2,500, if it is so, that I've got to pay in visas, that goes against the gig. And my... I managed to get, and I fight to get guarantees to make shows happen in, in Paris, right? Because of the expense of hiring the gigs and hiring the venues, etc., and everything else that goes on in Paris, right? And 2,500 quid, well, all the wee bits and pieces of it, it's half of the guarantee that I would be hoping to get from a French promoter. And that's that, and that guarantee, the guarantee that I get, which is around about six thousand euros or something, the bus alone, or the tour line, the nightliner alone, is like about uh, sixteen hundred euros, you know. And um, no, it's more than that. And it's um, it's it's basically fourteen hundred quid plus VAT, right? Plus the VAT that we've got to try and find a way to get back as well. So my point is, you know, as I've written on it. You know, you can basically forget about doing single gigs in Belgium, <clears throat> single gigs in, in, in Spain. I mean, the last time I played Spain, Madrid, Barcelona, it was only like 400, 500 people a night, right? And, you know, that wasn't a big take, you know? And we had to, to get to Spain, it's a day drive down, right? And a day drive out, so it's four days, right? And, um, and on a day off, you have to pay for the bus as well. I mean, the bus just because you're not doing a gig doesn't mean you don't pay the bus company. You pay the bus company for a day off. So, um, so yeah, so there's a question mark over Spain. And I hate to say this, there's a question mark over Italy. You know, the last time I went down there, it was kind of Rome, Milan, and that was it. And I mean, and again, and similar to Spain, you know, the, the drive, the spin round the block to get down to those gigs and the spin back is immense. And, you know, it's a lot of money to put on, on shows. And, um, <clears throat> you know, normally you'd be in a situation where, you know, you go, well, okay, well, you know, in the past, you know, there's gigs where, you, you know, you're breaking even or, you know, you might be losing a bit, but you kind of put your, your bet on the merchandise and, and, you know, the band wages are covered. But, I mean, I've, you know, 
I've got nothing of that, right? I mean, in a guarantee, that's not my wages, by the way, right? And and that that guarantee, that is only to cover the costs of getting to our gig, right? And um, so, like, for example, as I said, Italy, you know, is you know, got a question mark over it. And the merchandise, if we've got to register for VAT in every country, which we've been told we have to do now if we want to sell merchandise, um, you know, there's another load of accounts fees. And then there's the taxes of bringing the merchandise in uh, and everything else. And, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be really, really tough, you know. And it's going to be hard to, to tour some places where, you know, I want to tour, and I know the fans want me to come down, but I mean, it's just become so restrictive. They have to sort it out. You know, somebody's got to come up with an answer. As I said, you know, you know, Brexit is there. We have to deal with it. Let's deal with it. So rather than just throwing all these regulations at us and going like, well, right? Why do you think about what you're putting on us and what it's doing and what the, counter, the after effect and the counter effects and stuff are? are, are, are. And it's, um, you know, and, um, it's worrying, and you know, it's 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 like having a pillar. I mean, with this whole touring thing, you know, in the middle of COVID, you know, and as as I said in, in the post as well, I mean, you know, the Belgian authorities have said, you know, you've you got to apply for three months before you even come in, right? We don't have a Belgian gig on this this particular tour, but all the other countries, you're going to have to apply two months before you go in. How the fuck, right? Am I supposed to know what's happening in two months, right? You know, we're in a situation just now where we're in a lockdown that was only imposed just in December. And that lockdown, we don't know, is it till the end of February, which I think it will be, right? It could go into March. So I'm supposed to go out two months ahead of a tour, right? Two months, three months, two to three months ahead of a tour and take all those European visas and pay what looks like being 15 grand, right? In advance, right? Before I've even earned a penny from a show, right? To buy all these visas, right? on a tour that may or may not happen, you know? Yeah, I would be pulling my hair out if I had hair, seriously. And it's, um, and you know, I've fought through things before and I've, you know, I've dealt with awkward situations, but you know, not one that's been, you know, self-inflicted, you know? And um, as I said, between the, the, the touring fiasco and and um, and the mail, you know, and uh, as I said, with a mail, what I'm reading and what I'll be writing about in the next post, which is called the second whammy, right? From what I know, right? From what I can see at the moment, right? If I send a package to the EU, right? For a standard album, a standard Weltschmerz album, right? Which is £16.99 for the double album, minus the VAT, right? That's £16.99, Right, that's got the I think it's eight pound postage on it for the for to, for for just a single Velchmans to go out. So the customer has to pay the twenty five quid, whatever. But when they get it across in, in Germany or Holland or in the EU, I think in Germany and what I've seen so far from this is from the Royal Mail website, which is very confusing. Right, and it's you have you get a sore head after twenty minutes reading it. It's going to be seven pound between six and seven pound for to pick it up at the post office right that is the paperwork charge that's the admin charge for dealing with the package that goes out 
to the EU post office. And we, as I said, I don't know whether the person, you know, the customer pays for it at the door and whether it's a credit card off the courier. I don't know whether they get a thing through the, the, the door that says go to the post office and pay it or whether you can pay it online. But the bottom line is, right, it's £16.99 for, for your standard Velchbirds double album, plus the £8 postage, plus the VT, which is four or five quid, plus a £7 to £8 charge for administration. That makes an album coming from the UK to get to a customer in the EU, a single Velchbirds album, right? 31 quid, right? Now tell me that's fucked up or not, right? You know? 40% of our mail order sales go to the EU, right? 40%, right? So I've had the leg cod from under me with the touring and I've just, I'm getting mother leg cod away by the, by the bureaucracy and everything that's going to be involved with exporting goods. And uh, yeah, I was raging. I was, you, you really did not want to be here this week. I mean, you know, there were, People running for corners to get away from me because I was on full beam, right? And um, it's uh, it's pretty weird, you know, just just dealing with it all. And uh, and if I go too far, darling, darling, she's run off. <laughs> yeah. So I've I've told Simone if it gets gets too much that she's go she'll ring the bell. Go ring the bell. I will. Yeah. I have to listen. Oh no no! Oh, you you you're actually. She's got a bell through there. If I get if I start getting too if I start foaming at the mouth. That's the medication for the fishy boy. Yeah. Oh. And the alcohol erdinger. Well, alcohol fry erdinger, I should say. And that was in a little kerfuffle at the beginning of the week. I just want to thank everybody, especially Julian Craven and and Pete Gowans at Erdinger, right? <clears throat> Julian Craven, as I said last week, put this whole idea together and um, and Pete Gowans at Erdinger, Alcohol Fry, set the whole thing up and they did a great job and I really thank them. The first cases were sold and there was orders put in and Erdinger supplied another 15 and basically uh, from those cases it's raised a thousand quid, just close to a thousand quid that's gone into the um, the... The, the fund, the Just Given page for the artists and, and the crew. So thank you. Thank you, Pete. Thank you, Julian. Thank you, Erdinger. Brilliant. Grand coming out of the blue was wonderful. But, you know, the thing was, you know, when I put up that post, it's really, I, I don't know what it is. It's like because people in lockdown, everybody just gets a bit ratty and starts spouting off. And, you know, the one thing that I've been really careful of, uh, I think probably because of lockdown and because it's so easy to just get cabin fever and go nuts, right? You know, I have, you know, I really, if I'm posting or if I'm answering a post, you know, I try and, I don't allow my temperature to go up because it's not going to, you know, it's not going to solve anything, right? And there's no point in having some kind of, like, you know, volley of words passing to and from from on posts that, like, are meaningless, right? And it's been interesting because, you know, there's two or three posts in the last week that have been about Brexit and they've been about situations. The amount of, like, Muppets that come up. And I, I check them out and I go on to the... I, I, you know, when you see somebody writing something that's a bit snarly, right, or a bit nasty, I go and see where he's from, you know. 
find the, the locations and things and just check his site out. And it's amazing the number of people, right, that post on, on the Facebook pages now. They're not even fans of my music. Some of them don't even like music, right? But because the algorithms have picked them up, have kind of picked up and alerted them, they're coming here and bouncing off Brexit things with stuff about Trump and Biden, right? There's a woman down in France that I know. It's like, what the fuck are you on about, you know? Just thought I was going to hear a bell there. And, um, you know, but there's, there's so many people that just, it's just trolls and that and anger. And I try and keep it civil. And if anybody comes up and starts getting abusive on the pages, I will ban them. I mean, I will go up, I will find your page and I will block you, right? I don't want, you know, sh you know, stuff coming against other people. You know, when it starts, it gets, starts getting nasty and you start name calling and stuff, I'm not putting up with it, full stop. Okay, just so you know. No bell. Well, I'll have a look at this. Uh, Darren Gelder, bet you're glad now it's your last album. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I've got to wind it down, I'm missing it. <laughs> Arthur Gill Fisher, a real treasure, making the hell of Brexit almost funny. <laughs> it's true, it's that Spike Milligan thing, it's, you got to laugh. Every, every time I get in shit, I laugh, you know, it's like when I'm in really bad situations, right? When I've uh, literally been close to getting a gun put in my head, I burst out laughing. Female, brilliant Erdinger. Yeah, Erdinger were great and stuff, and I loved them. And I like this alcohol fry. There was all these people going, well, why can't we get alcohol beer? It's because it's alcohol fry, right? And, um, and I drink it because I like it, and because I personally have kind of realised the dangers of like, you know, like Sunday Times wine club stuff and all the rest of it, you know, when, you know, you know, drinking in lockdown is, uh, you've got to be really careful, you know. A very good friend of mine called Andreas Dahl from Norway, right, I remember when I was going through various kind of personal things a few years ago, he said something that was very valid and very true, and he said, only happy people should drink. And it's, it's bang on. And I think it's a problem, you know, and I think, if you look at the mental health issues, kind of, you know, in the, not just the UK, I mean, worldwide, right? The mental health issues that are being created by lockdown and, and separation and solitary, you know, solitary living, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's dangerous, you know? I mean, that's part of the, thing, the reason why I do this, you know, just to give people a wee bit of input from something else, right? And, um, but yeah, and that's why I drink an alcohol fry, and that's why I started drinking it when I stopped drinking for five months, kind of like I said last year, because it helped. It, was, it tastes okay. It's good. I like it. Right? And uh, but it was an amazing the number of posts that came out. You know, um, you know, getting all antsy about like you know, did it? Uh, never thought you know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I don't care. Thank you again, Erdinger, for raising a thousand pounds for my band and crew members in this moment of COVID. Thank you. But it is actually really good. And, um, and I like a wee glass of wine and stuff. But I mean, people say that, you know, oh, well, is this the guy that was brought in Communicado, right? If I drunk as much as people thought that I used to drink, right? The Sun newspaper and the tabloids in general, right? I think they had this cut, copy and paste thing, right? Back in the 80s. 
And it was like, fish, who drinks pints of Jack Daniels and Coke? I don't drink pints of Jack Daniels and Coke. <laughs> if I'm drunk as much as people think, it's like, it's like, it's like Keith Moon, right? Keith Moon had this reputation of being, he was like, ah, Tasmanian devil guy. He wasn't like that all the time. Nobody can be. It's a caricature, right? In the same way as, as for me, it was kind of like a caricature. Pints of Jack Daniels and Coke, right? I couldn't walk if I was drinking pints of Jack Daniels and Coke. <laughs> so, you know, I drink apple juice and sparkling water. I do. I drink apple juice. And I hope there's nobody shocked. Like, You've let us down. How dare you? We thought you were one of us. A complete and utter JK. No. <laughs> so, and I got loads of this Erdinger alcohol frying. I did get it from Erdinger, by the way. It was, a lot of it was given by a, a couple of people earlier on. I'm still working my way through it after the stuff that I bought myself. But it's great. Prost. Wow. <laughs> Robert Olson, Nanny State by Brewdog. Yeah, that's good. Steve Vances was looking at Steve. Steve is amazing. Steve Ancis could stop drinking for like months on end. And he, he, he knows all the different beers. In fact, he sent me up a bunch of stuff. Um, when, I was, when we were in lockdown, he sent me up a, a couple of crates of things, you know. But yeah, the Budweiser Zero tonight, 46 calories, two humanses. That's the other thing, isn't it? It's like, you know, who put the bicycle by my bars? <laughs> yeah, um, I keep on going like, I've got to get on that cross trainer. Now I'm getting scared I'm going to break it. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of thank yous, by the way. Steph Judge, thank you very much for this. It's a, it's a Christmas tree decoration, and it's a bit late, right? But it, it says on it, it said, 2020, the year we stayed at home. <laughs> it's great, so Steph, thank you. And also, I don't know if, I can't remember if I actually thanked him last week, but it was a... Uh, what the is it? Oh no, I've lost it again. Bollocks. Yeah. I'll find it. Yeah. Oh, Isis Boussons. I have a very, very happy birthday. Um, I don't know how to say that in French, but I have a very happy birthday. Yeah. Yes, someone wishes you lots of love as well, by the way. Oh, yeah. Jeffrey B. Zeman, this, how does that, how does what you're facing with the EU compare with the US? Just as expensive, less confusing because the systems? No. You know, some people have said this. It's like, well, you know, well US bands come to uh, Europe. Yeah, they do. What you've got to remember is that the biggest, the three biggest music markets in the world are the USA, Japan, right? Not necessarily for international artists, but as a, a buying buying public and EU especially the gas territories which is Germany Austria Switzerland gas it's called gas shortened acronym they're massive in the same way as the states as I just said is massive when Marillion played America in 1983 we didn't make any money at all right the reason we were able to tour America right right up to 1987 was because we were an EMI and what we had to do was when we put a tour together, you know, when 
when a tour was was kind of booked and, and put together, John Armisen, the manager, and Andy Field, the, the production manager and stuff, we had to sit there and go through the, the costs, find out how much we were going to lose. And then we went to EMI, or they went to EMI with cap in hand and said, can we get some money to help support? Now, we had to pay for that. It was an advance against royalties, which meant that, you know, basically, you know, you get the tour support, and once you sell 100,000 albums or whatever, then all that money comes off. On the last tour, this is in 87, when we were playing gigs and doing good numbers in some areas of the USA, right? We still had, it was over 15,000 pound in tour support, and that comes off the royalty. And the royalty at that time in Marillion was only about a quid an album, right? So you had to see 15,000 albums, you know, but you never saw that because it's like it's all taken off before you get the check. And I never got a royalty check off EMI until I went solo. <laughs> it's true. I never actually got a royalty check off EMI until about two years after I left the band because they were still paying it back and they were still sending EMI and doing, they were still sending EMI doing albums and things after that. So I was actually getting royalty checks off of EMI before the rest of the guys in Marillion were. Yeah. But my point is, if you're signed to a major record company, you have that kind of financial support, right? So you can go to a record company and do And yes, it is going to come off your royalties, but in the same way as Marillion in the States, the way we looked at it was that, you know, well, if we break the States, we could sell a million albums here. That's kind of the thinking of the record company, that's the thinking of the band, everything, right? The management, right? And that's what American bands do in Europe. If they can break into Europe and get a foothold and be able to get up there to play to, you know, a couple of thousand, three thousand beyond, you know, in, in a night, then it makes sense, you know? But what do you do if you're an independent band, you know? Because Americans have to get visas for Europe the same way as when we go to America. And the visas in America have jumped up now. And I think, I, I can't remember exactly what they are, but they were kind of kept coming in with all the fees at about £600 a man, right? And, you know, for us in the States, I, I don't want to go, go down that rabbit hole, but I mean, when we go to the States, we've got to take on all this bureaucracy and pay for all these advisors and pay for federal setups and accountants and da-da-da. And that's why I can't play America. You know, even the last, I think I mentioned to you before, the last time I went out there on the 13 Star Tour, you know, it was, I was down 30 grand. And that was only covered by the merchandise that I sold because I sold the merchandise outside the venues and didn't pay the, the, the commission to the venue, right? It was, I was 30 grand down playing that, just that tour, right? And it's the same happens with Americans that come across to the EU. You know, if, you, if you're with a big label, then they'll get you through. If they think you're going to break Germany and stuff and, and start to happen, yeah, they'll back, they'll back it. You're still going to pay it, and you're still going to pay it back, right? So, you know. But the thing is, Europe isn't America. Europe is 30 minutes on a bloody ferry away, right? <laughs> and as I said in, in the big long mail as well, it's like... Roger Dory, who I've got nothing against, I love him as a singer and all the rest of it, he said a couple of things that I completely disagree with. But, you know, when, when Roger Dory said, well, you know, what did we do before, right? Before 1973, between 1963 and 1973, The Who only played about 50 to 55 shows in EU, current EU countries, right? right? Current EU countries, which include Denmark, right? So that's what they did. 
I've got 25 shows coming across allegedly at the, at the end of this year. So, I mean, the European market has completely changed. It's massive now, massive. And it's really important because, I mean, you know, it's all very well being a big person, being big on this island, right? But you need to break out. You need to break out to, the, to Europe. You need to break out to the States. Marillion happened to break into Europe, right? And that gave us the impetus and created, you know, that entire huge buzz that allowed us to go to America, in all honesty, you know? And uh, it, it bankrolled a lot of stuff, you know? But Europe is a huge market. It's 30 minutes away in a ferry. And now there's a load of hurdles, you know? And as I said, for big bands, you know, I mean... Yeah, those visa fees, you know, they're not going to kill me, right? But put that together with the VAT arrangements and everything else that's going on, and I have to think twice. And as I said before, there are countries that I will not be able to play because it's just crazy because I can't make money. And I'm a professional musician, you know? I'm not at a point in my career where I'm trying to break into new territories, what I'm trying to do is earn a living in territories that I've broken years and years ago that still support me where I can still play concerts and I try good enough numbers to earn a living, right? And as I said, you know, if you've got uh, six countries in the EU, which we're going to be playing on the next tour, there's 15 grand in visa costs. 15 grand, plus all the ancillary stuff. So, she's not going to bail me yet. Well, uh, Uh, Robert Ahrens. Oh, no. I do, look, all you Trumpies, right? Just get over it. Get over it, right? I don't need all this posting here about Washington, D.C. Just go away or I'll ban you quickly, right? Joe Vincent, have you and Simona reconsidered getting a dog now rather than waiting? Yeah, we have. But as I said before, I mean, we'd love a dog. We'd love to get an Irish wolfhound. And we're both kind of, well, Simona especially, you know, she's involved with the, the Scottish Irish wolfhound. Kinda. She's on the pages and everything. And she gets these photographs of puppies sent. And I know when they get sent because it's like, oh, darling, look at this on the phone. Oh, isn't it lovely? And I go, uh uh. Thing is, it's like, I'd like to think <laughs> that I've still got another tour to do. <laughs> I mean, you know, I've just saw today that the Genesis tour has been moved back to uh, September, October. And I just saw that in one, online in one of the magazines. So they've moved their tour back. And seemingly they're playing Manchester. Genesis are playing Manchester the same night as Steve Hackett. <laughs> That's a call and a half, you know. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, September, I, I, I can't see it. Steve Vances was told last week that he's uh, scheduled for a vaccination in September. I think it's the first week of the tour. That's his first one. Uh, so, I mean, like, in all honesty, I can't see it happening. I'm not betting on it, you know. It's, 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 it's a long, long shot. And as I said, I mean, you know, if we are going to tour in September, we need to get the visas applied for in July, and I need to start rehearsing in August. <laughs> Nah. I think I'd be a, be a gardener for another year. I think I may be a gardener. Is the line flickering for fish? No, it's not, but I have got spinning disc on the on the thing. 
Uh, why is that? Video is frozen here as well. Thomas Mackle. Oh, I don't know. So I don't know. I'm coming. I've got. I've got to dip down the mails. Mark Dawes, have you watched The Serpent yet? Yeah, I've watched The Serpent. It was great. I, I did really like it. It was, it was good. You know, it wasn't, you know, high floating thing. But there was, uh, it was, I enjoyed it, you know. But the one that Simone and I have got really into is, uh, it's called Call My Agent, right? And Call My Agent is on Netflix. And it's the, the fourth series started, or is now available. It came on last night. And it's absolutely brilliant. If you've not seen it, it's French subtitles. A lot of people can't deal with subtitles, especially after 11 o'clock at night. What's the thing? <laughs> yeah, that's no way I'm thinking alcohol fry. That's, that's the other one. <laughs> Do put the other TV in the house. <laughs> but yeah, it's called Call My Agent. And, uh, and it's basically about a... a, a uh, uh, an actor's agency or, or, or a, a movie agency in, in Paris and it's about the characters that, are in, that work in the agency and the actors and, and the actors that they deal with and it's just, it's brilliant give it a go it's a, I'd had it recommended to, or I'd come across a review oh sorry we're having trouble playing this video, learn more Gonna try and reload this, but yeah, and it's it's really funny, and um, someone and I started watching it and just loving it. I hope this is all recording. What is happening here? Tintinet's gone wrong. Yeah, the stream's poor. I don't know why. I mean, I've got full beam on the on the, the on the broadcast. Petro Beda, I hope you come to Lisbon again. It's Portugal. I mean, how can I come down to Portugal and play, you know, one show in Lisbon when I've got a two thousand five hundred visa cost in the back of it? You know, it's. I mean, this it's not what I want to do. Believe me, you know, it's it's, it's the same as America. I would love to come out and play the states and. Uh, and, and do gigs in the States before I finally retire. But, I mean, it's just financially infeasible, you know? Uh, Tyler Pittman, how you doing, mate? Nashville, hope you're okay. You'd be a happy boy this week. <laughs> Did somebody try to Google Google and break the internet? <laughs> David Green is the new variant effect of the internet. Uh. Rob Schofield, Storm Christopher making the screen jump. Oh, yeah. Uh, Doc Bob Davidson Lupin on Netflix yeah but like I said I mean, go on, check out um, Call My Agent it's, and it's become a real cult thing uh, uh. Alan McDonald I load the video quality that sort of out Roddy McLeod, I remember you did a forward roll onto the Caird Hall. <laughs> Great entrance. I think I probably tripped. <laughs> it's one of those things 
when you're on a stage and you trip over a wedge, it's like making it look as if you meant it, you know. See your recovery, you you either do like a David Byrne talking edge then, it's good. Shink. <laughs> I've fallen Mars a couple of times. Black stage, dark, black, blacked out monitor. Nobody's put any kind of luminous tape up around it so you can't see it. And you're walking back and you're trying to like do the, the dramatic bit and it's back off. <laughs> <laughs> Had a couple. Uh, wasn't drinking. Mm. Rhonda Hughes moved to Ireland and get the both the both worlds. Uh, I'm Scottish, you know. In 2015, Simone and I made the decision to move here, despite what had happened the year previously. And because we love it. I love East Lothian and I love Scotland. And I, I feel I belong here. Right? And, and Simona does as well now. I mean, she loves this company. And, um, and I, you know, I, I really don't want to move, but I mean, the bottom line is, you know, if it gets to the point where, you know, I really can't work and I can't, you know, I mean, to, I'm, I'm, you got to remember, it's like just with this Royal Mail stuff, right? I've got to, if moving material out to the EU becomes so expensive in mail, you know, why... Like, for example, the Fugazi remaster that's coming out whenever, God knows when. It's like, what's the point of buying? I can't buy a load of stuff off of off Warners that have, you know, to send out to the EU because it's just going to be so ridiculously expensive, you know? And, and as I said, I mean, I'm still waiting to hear on the, what's happening with the Vigil in the Wilderness of Mirrors license from Warner. And I've got, you know, the internal Excel and 30 Star you know, remasters to look at this year. And I, I've got a... I've got to think carefully about that because, as I said, the EU is 40% of my market. And the thing is that, you know, with those albums, especially with the vinyl, I mean, this is one of the things. You know, you know when I do... With Velchbert's coming out, Velchbert should have been out in kind of July last year and it got moved back because we knew the tournament was going to go down. But the point-to-point the -point sales, right, the face-to-face the, the -face sales, I should say, on a direct sales to customer thing that happens on a tour. On a new album, that is the bedrock of like where it's at. I mean, that's where you really hope to be able to sell the albums and especially the vinyl that's costing 10 pound every time it, you know, a vinyl goes across. And, you know, losing that, you know, this year and probably, well, last year and probably this year, it's a huge hit. It's a huge hit. I mean, I was planning on my retirement, you know, and this whole, the idea was over the next three years was to find the pension because I don't have one. <laughs> and that was the idea, find, you know, basically find the pension that's enable, enable me to kind of do the book writing. So I've got a safety blanket that we, we can do things that we're not under, you know, that kind of cosh, you know, because as I said, I'm 63 this year, right? And um, and the touring and the merchandise, you know, direct sales, you know, should have been a, a, a big, a huge part uh, of what was happening. Doesn't happen now. And to be told now that, you know, the mail order thing is, is you know, 
has got a load of restrictions and a load more expense in it. And, you know, I think the, the problem is, it's like, I know that the diehard fans will buy. And, and, you know, they just go, well, I just want the album. But the thing with albums is you're trying to, to break out and you're trying to, you know, sell out. So who in the right mind, you know, is kind of going to be sitting there going, oh, Fish Album's got a great review. Yeah, it looks really cool. Like, yeah, I remember them. And like, yeah, I saw them years and years ago. Yeah, I might go for that. I take a punt on that. How much? Right? <laughs> That's the problem, you know? And it's, you know, if, if you look at that album, that Velschmerz standard double CD at £16.99 minus VAT, it could be, if I've got these figures right, which I think I have, that £16.99 album is going to be £31 when it lands on a doorstep over there, right? And that is fucking ridiculous, right? right. Cole van der Salm is a franchise store in the EU not an option, or would that still be a non-EU legal thingy? Even if I open up a store, I do have to register for VAT in every country. If I want to sell merchandise on the next tour, I'm going to have to register for VAT in every country. I've already been told that I've got to register for VAT in Germany because we passed the limit that we're allowed to, 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 to be on for long-distance selling. So I've got to register for VAT in Germany. The problem is that it's the operational cost. It's dealing with all the staff out, you know, taking on staff over there, taking on premises out there, taking on storage out there and everything else, you know, it adds up and it just becomes, you know, I, I, I will be looking at it. I mean, you know, I've got six months. I mean, because the rules all change in July. You may not know this, but the VAT rules all change. And there's a story about how we might have a one-stop shop, which means that, you know, if you're dealing with the EU, I... You guys pay the tax to me and I pay the tax to the one-stop shop and the one-stop shop pays it back to the respective governments. If that comes off and there isn't a huge bureaucratic bill tagged on with it, which I expect there will be, right, that may be a way forward. Um, but we don't know, right? Royal Mail are talking about this landing fee thing, right? It won't be ready. To, they've not even really got it up and running yet. And they're talking about the end of February. Now, this is Royal Mail. This is a major British institution, right? Royal Mail, right? And everybody's been saying, I mean, there's a lot of condemnation. People say, well, the reason we're not prepared is because the Remainers never expect, ex expected it to really happen. Bollocks, right? We knew it was going to happen, but we've not been able to prepare because nobody's told us what to do. And as I said, even now, when you've got an institution like the Royal Mail that do not know what is happening, then we have a major problem here. Major problem. And you can't expect small businesses to just turn around and, and you know, get it all sorted out. You know, immediately. There it is. Deal with it now. You know. It's crazy. Well, she's not through there, so I've not heard the bell. Maybe I should have had the bell. Right. John Murray, licensed to music. Yeah, great. Um, I'm not a major artist, you know, um, as I said, you know, Veltschmerz is about 15,000 albums, right? If I was licensing, uh, if I was licensing from the point, point one, right, on Veltschmerz, right, I would roughly make about, if I was licensing the album to a label, to a center, I would roughly make about a pound, pound 20 an album, right? So there's 15,000 quid, right? 15 grand. That doesn't even pay my visas to Europe. Right, that doesn't even come close to paying what the recording costs, which were over a hundred grand. Right, 
right? The reason I sell it direct, the reason we, I do it this way is because we maximize the profits that we, we earn so I can continue to run, right? That's how it's worked for years for me, right? If I was with a major, if I was licensing material, you don't, you get a pittance back, you know? I don't sell on Amazon because the, the, the rates are so high. You gotta understand, I am not Phil Collins, even though I might look like him to somebody. Like, some, some of you might think I look like the bath, but... No, you know, I'm not a multimillionaire. I don't sell hundreds of thousands of albums. This is how it is. And there are a lot of people like me out here, out there, a lot of people. Ask the Pendragon. And Sandra Watson from Big Country, who runs the Big Country Mail on the site, was up on the page the same, like she's had to, you know, she's having a nightmare. You know, they don't know how to do it, you know? It's not just me. Right. And this isn't a whinge. It's like, this is where a lot of people are at. We need to get out of it. We need to find a way forward. Right. Right. Douglas Fergus, BBC Scotland weather. Someone just posted a picture of Herrington. <laughs> Was it all white? Because it's all white outside. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. That's an interesting one. Let me get it. Johnny... McKelleron, I spent two and a half hours on to HMRC this week to get a simple export question answered and in the end the guy told me that the best he could do was give me his own interpretation of the new rules. Shambles. That's what it is. Well, I think. And the, the, it's like, even on websites you get maybe or ors. Maybe's and ors. There's a lot of them about, you know, this might happen. Maybe this or this might happen. I don't need that. No. You know, like I said, I mean, you know, we've got, on Monday... Right, when we opened the store up, we kept the shop closed for four weeks because we didn't know what was happening. Well, I mean, we had the holidays, which would give us the, the pause. But again, we were still hoping we were going to be hearing things as we moved towards December 31st. Did we fuck, right? And, you know, when we, we held it back to try and get more information and didn't get any more information. And on last Monday, we had to just go for it because we couldn't afford to keep the shop shut. We can't afford it, you know? And it's... um. So, you know, we're sending out goods on the Monday and Simone and I were talking about it and she's saying, you know, we don't really know how things are going to go. You know, I don't know whether we're going to be getting, you know, a load of return mail, you know, coming at us in the next week. Are you all right, darling? No. Well, what's wrong? Because of the manifest, because it's not manifested, if somebody tries to track the parcel that you sent to me, it can't be tracked because it doesn't show in the system. I wrote an email to... You didn't hear that, right? Yeah, we're having problems with all mail printing off. We sent a load of stuff today and, and we're supposed to get, you're supposed to be able to press a button and you got a manifest that you give to the driver. And uh, the raw mail service didn't work today, right? Nobody bothered. They get a contact. I think she'll open The lovely Samira. <laughs> This woman is an absolute angel, and yeah. But I'm just saying what a nightmare we're having. Yeah. So all the parcels I sent today, I just sent the tracking numbers to everybody, but don't track it now. It, it will it will say will tell you that it can't be found in the system. So don't worry. Don't send me emails asking what's happened to my parcel. I have to wait till they come back to us. We were told it's not a problem because. It is in the system anyway because I printed, got the labels printed, everything, but it's not manifested because it, they have problems <laughs> and they couldn't be bothered telling us 
their problems last week and nobody if they would tell us before I could have tried to print the manifest an hour earlier it's not to phone them an hour earlier it's because nuts. I had to wait 40 minutes in the queue on the phone till somebody helped me and <coughs> in the meantime all the bags got picked up so it's like we got it's like we've gone back 15 years this <laughs> really it's what it feels like and yeah, just, yeah. yeah. Didn't it? It's just, you know, everything was working fine. And, you know, everybody got money. The EU got money. The Brits got money. British HMRC got money. The German government got money. Everybody was happy. The fans were happy. But no. Frag grenade, right? Yeah. <laughs> Liam Gloss, you just noticed the owl in the back. What, what the owl in the back? Which owl? I've you know see, I must have showed you that owls before. This is Simone's collection of owls. I don't know if you can see them. Look at that. <laughs> All owls. Look at that. We've got big wooden owls, we've got little porcelain owls, we've got all sorts of owls. Yeah, owls everywhere. You're gonna to have to explain now because they're gonna think you're crazy. Come on, owls. Come on. Open up a bottle and come and explain the owls. <laughs> explain the owls. <laughs> oh God. Sorry, we're having trouble playing this video again. Fuck's sake. <laughs> the world is just falling apart. <laughs> Come on. Thank you. Take this. It's seven o'clock. I don't know, I'm trying to get this going. It's not working. Oh, here it is. Train owls to deliver and skip the cost of the EU. Owen Boyle, great idea. We could try. We've actually got a couple of really, you know the owls. Come on, Darren. Owl story. Which owl story? We've we got a. What, what are the owls that we've got down up down in the road? I like them or what? It's that kind of week, see? And I'm now moving into the Sauvignon Blanc at this point, an hour into the programme. The old story. The old story. Yeah, why, why do you, what, why, what, this what, is good. If you mean the same, why I love them is when I was a little toddler, my mum told me, she went, went to a little park with me and parked my buggy in front of the owls, of the cage. And I, I could sit there and, and look at them and look at them. Um, yeah, I, I just could sit there for ages. And when, when she, when we had to go home, I was crying my eyes out. <laughs> uh -huh. So, and then... My, it was a barn owl, wasn't it, or something? Was it the white oh, one? Oh, my favourite is a snow, snowy owl. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's my favourite. Yeah, she fell in love with owls. And mm -hmm. it's like... So <laughs> every Christmas is easy. Just like, what we're going to... Just eBay owls. <laughs> 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 you can always find something with an owl on it. But what's the, what's the owls we've got down there? What are they, barn owls? The little here, the, the ones, the ones here. we're here, I think, yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, at night we can hear them from the bedroom. We've got a couple mm-hmm. of them down there. Well, they move up and down every year. Yeah. But what have we got in the garden? You, your favourites. We've got real favourites in the garden now. Real favourites. Oh, all the pheasants. <laughs> we, <laughs> we counted... Was it 18? You've seen 18. No, I've seen 11. I've, say, I've seen 12 in, in our orchard. And every morning when I look out the wi- little window next to our bed, there's at least three or four sitting... And then they turn around and look at me and <laughs> make a long neck. And they don't even bother, so they're, they're quite inquisitive and... Yeah, they've got, they've got, they've got, got used, used to us. To us yeah. yeah, they've got used to us now. So it's like you walk out, when you walk out in the garden, they don't go ta 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 You know, they kind of go, it's them, it's all right. You know? Yeah. And they're great. But when we wake up in the morning, it was like the other day when the snow, it was like we woke up and it was a snowscape, right? And we've got... There's a strawberry bed out, out the back, and I've had to put these posts around it with a fence to keep the rabbits away. Right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, they were all sitting on the posts. There was about five of them sitting on the posts, and they're about the size of basketballs because you know they fluff themselves up. You know when it's really really cold, and you want, and they fluff themselves up. It's like there's these big feathery basketballs on the top of the posts. Yeah, and I always want that makes you want to cuddle them because they're so big <laughs> <Stop> and <it. dragon feathers. laughs> Yeah, you can't cuddle pheasants. Well, there's a part of me goes, we'll never starve, if you know what I mean. <laughs> no, he's a, he's a softie. But yeah, I was down the orchard last week when it, when it was snow. When it was snowed last week, I was just checking the See tractor. You Your mum's waiting. Oh, mum's waiting. Mum's mm-hmm. getting dinner. Have you ordered a curry already? Is no, mum ma- having a curry tonight? Mm-hmm. Take me curry from Ali's tonight. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so... A studio, pheasants, are you sure you're not a rock star? They're not my pheasants, by the way. They've only accumulated in the orchard, I think, because we left, there was a lot of apple drop. And we never picked them up. We just left them for the wildlife. And, uh, and we, we feed, as I said, I mean, I got about 140 quid's worth of bird feed last week. And that'll hopefully last for about two, three months through the winter because I feed the wee bastards up. Because they do help you know, when, you know, when you go in the summer... And especially see the wee sparrows, like you get vine weevil. When it becomes vine weevil season, vine weevil. For the you gardeners out there, you know exactly what I'm about. I hate those bastards, right? They look like um, uh, little tanks, little panzer tanks. They've got big round grey, they're ugly things, right? And they lay eggs, um, usually around about October last year, and the eggs go into the soil. And basically they, they create all these larvae and the larvae eat the roots. You don't even know the plants, you've got them. Until the plant goes dunk, right? Or you, you try and lift something up, and there's actually no roots on it. And I think I've just lost the kiwi fruit in the garage, in the greenhouse, because of vine weevil. But it's great when you see the wee sparrows and stuff, and they go up and they hang on the harling, and they're, they're checking it, and you see them catch a vine weevil, let's go right on you. And I don't mind right, feeding them all the way through the winter because I know they're going to be my little helpers next year. Caterpillars and everything, let them loose, right? But the other thing we've got this year, which is really cool. And, you know, I've been told that there's, they're kind of a bit wary, they're not wary, but they're, um, there's, it's a, basically blackbirds, right? And there's a lot of blackbirds, um, seemingly the populations are, are dropping, right? No, here they're not. Because I've got the really big hedge. We've, I counted about seven or eight blackbirds round about the, 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 the bottom of the feeders the other day. And I love it. It makes me feel really good. And 
you know, with a lockdown thing, I mean, I think as everybody knows, I mean, everybody's got it walking. I can't go it walking for various reasons at the moment. But um, it's like just to be able to see all the birds and when you get those feeders done up, you see the thrushes and the finches and everything else. And they've got this beautiful um, uh, gumu picker comes up on, on the peanuts and stuff. I love it. I love it all, you know. Makes you feel good, right, about everything, you know, and just nature and just being in the moment and not having to worry about Brexit and Royal Mail and touring and shit. You just take the moment. It's lovely. Vine baler, palm tree killers too. Yeah, we, I get them. We often notice that in, in, indoors, we, we, we've got a lot of plants in, in, indoors as well. And I know my daughter Tara, she's, she's become a real houseplant, uh, houseplant addict. And you've got to watch them. And uh, the number of times that we find, you know, when you get, especially with the central heating on, you suddenly see these bastards crawling over, like coming out of the pots and things. And I've got, I've got no problem. I could, I just take them between my fingers, just kill them, right? I don't go, ooh, it's an insect, die. Right? Good for your mental health. Goldcrest, smallest garden bird, look out. Is the goldcrest the smallest? Because we got wrens here, and I love wrens. We tap at wrens. Oh, and the Burns Night coming up as well. Oh. oh, by the way, check out my page for this Burns Night. They're doing an online Burns Night. Check out the Facebook page. Tara's actually doing some, um, she's helping push it on social media. Looks really cool. And I was going to be involved in it, but for various reasons, I couldn't at this point in time. And uh, have a look at Fred McCauley. For those of you know, in Scotland, everybody knows Fred McCauley. And Fran Healy's doing something on it as well he's singing on it so check that out on the Burns Night yeah but yes I will be celebrating Burns Night on Monday and it will be it's haggis I don't know I don't know if Liam because he's a vegan can eat vegetarian haggis I think he can <laughs> Steve Holloway what's your go-to curry of choice I like a chicken jalfrezi I like a jalfrezi and North Indian uh, Bengal pepper chilli things I like that I like hot stuff but not ridiculously hot but we've got the Eastern Ida in Harrington and they're great and Ali is wonderful and he, he delivers up here and, uh, which is wonderful so it's like it's great so we use him and we help him and he brings us up curries and things Tim Sycamore you got three wrens in a box wow uh, <laughs> yeah we can talk about haggis next week <laughs> Richard Hall, I thought the firecrest was the smallest bird. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a twitcher. It's, uh, I've, I've got little Ian down in uh, Brighton. I know he's really into it. Vague vegan haggis, neeps and tatties for me, yeah. But no, but you see, vegan, you can't put butter in the tatties or anything like that. Oh, it's not really the same. <laughs> Robert Olsen, you like a veggie haggis, haggis better than normal haggis. I always remember that thing. It's, I think it was, um, what's his name? The Canadian comedian, Mike, um, Mike Myers. And I think it was in one of the movies he said that he said, all Scottish food is based on a dare. <laughs> it's very true. Dare you hear? The bee hummingbird is the smallest in the world, possibly the red in the UK. Uh, Wolfgang Trommel, yeah, haggis in a tin. Actually, tinned haggis is not too bad, right? And uh, Man, Man Snape, I like the McSween haggis. I quite like that. Uh, <laughs> Colin Grant, Kelly Minogue is a pretty small bird. 
Keith Johnson, Farquhar Corner. God, it's ten past seven. Yeah. How can I forget Farquhar Corner? Sammy, where are you? I've not seen you. Oh. Vegan butters. I've not heard of that. I don't know whether it won. I don't know whether it won. But at the last time I looked, it had, right? And they're not trying to do, you know, an American electoral voting thing here or anything like that. It's like, you know, the last time I looked at the results, who won? Maybe the postal votes hadn't come in and I'm not doing a recount at this point in the programme, right? Oh. Tilted cross. Way. Yeah. I've been dying to do this one. And um, till we cross, and I had to look. At, I had to look up. I've, I've, I should have played it earlier on this afternoon to check. So, if this jumps and you hear a lot of swearing and stuff, then it's my fault, and I should have prepped better. But it should be okay, right? I think it should be okay. But when I was doing, excuse me, about blowing my nose. Tell Hanky. Um. Way back before the, the Rain Gods was Zippo's album, you know, I'd come back from Bosnia and um, with a lot of experience and a lot of memories and it had a massive impact on me, massive. And I was invited down to a place called the Chateau, Chateau Marowat, which is, coincidentally, it was like, um, that was where Marillion recorded a lot of the Brave albums, even, they did in Langolem. And, uh, but I was there as part of a, a writer's kind of week. And I think I've explained this before, but it was um, Polydor and, or Polygram and uh, Miles Copeland, who was, used to be the manager of the police and Sting and is a major uh, music business guy, a big businessman. Strange guy, but a nice guy. I liked him. Very difficult to communicate with sometimes, but he was like... I got on well with him, but he owned the chateau, which was a massive place. And it was a real serious thing with like, you know, big walls and turrets and stuff. And it was amazing. And we all got invited down there. And there was, I'm trying to think of how many writers were down there. It was like, I think it was 20 or something, 20 odd writers. And every day, well, the, the idea, I should say, that it was Miles Copeland's idea. And like I said, it was his publishing company, which was called IRS, Polygram, right? And The Independence. Right, and I was one of the independents, one of the independent writers that wasn't signed to any any company. And the idea was to bring all these writers down, and it's a fascinating idea. Bring all these writers together from all these different kind of regimens and sources and genres and styles and da da da, and you bring them together inside this castle, isolate them all, right? And what they did every morning was they they basically picked out teams, and every morning you were put in a team where uh, normally two other people, sometimes three, but normally two. So there was three of you. And you had to write and record a demo of a song in that day, right? And I'd never done that before. And when I was told about it, I just went, write a song in a day. Normally it takes me a year. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so I was, I was kind of really nervous. And it was... Uh, there was a couple of songs came out of there, right? Um, 
there was, a, and I used them, a couple of them on um, Rain Gods. So you had a mission statement, right? A mission statement, uh, incomplete, that I wrote with Liz Antwi, who, um, Liz Troy Antwi, that I met, who's a beautiful person and a brilliant singer, and just, she's like the little sister I never had. Well, she's like another little sister. I don't need to decry my sister Laura, but she's like a wee sister that I never had as well, right? Uh, the missing sister, right? And Tilt It Cross. And when it came down to Tilt Cross, and I had to look up because I couldn't remember the names, right? Because we just met for this day. And it was, was it Sherry Jackson? I don't know, where is it? I don't know. Bear with me. Tim Johnson, who's a Nashville-based singer-songwriter, and Sherry Jackson, uh, um, a folk blues singer from Colorado, right? So both Americans, and they were lovely people, really nice people. And um, it was like, I was, when I, when I write songs, this is really far quite a corner, right? I like to come up with a story, trying to find an image, I like to come up with a wee story, kind of wrap it all together and stuff and sit about and go, this is kind of the feel. And that's what I did with, with Tim and Sherry. And I told them the story. And um, the Tilted Cross, right, is basically what they call the St Andrew's Cross, which is the, the national flag of Scotland, right? The Tilted Cross is the St Andrew's Cross and it was used for a specific type of crucifixion, right? But the Tilted Cross, right, out in Bosnia was something completely different. I'm going to kind of bounce about, there'll be a, I'm going to bounce into stories here, right? I'll get it, right? During the Bosnian War, you had your kind of three principal factions. You had the Croatians and the Serbs and the, the Muslims and um, mostly Bosnian, right? And there was always three kind of principal factions and the fight was going all over the place. It was happening all across Bosnia. But one of the things that was used a lot out there were mines in the same way as in every conflict in, in, in the modern era. You know, we have a propensity for, you know, throwing loads of fucking mines about and, you know, leaving a country. We're still cleaning up mines for the Second World War, never mind from, you know, everywhere else in the world, including Vietnam, where there's been huge issues between the Americans and the Vietnamese over who should pay for the, 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 the mine clearing duties, you know, in Africa, across the Congo, um, you know, it's in every country, and in Bosnia. And I hadn't really come across mines in Bosnia. And um, anti-personnel mines... Right, this is going to get kind of creepy, and if it starts to like, you know, freak out a little bit, right? An anti-personnel mine at that time in, in Bosnia, right? Just to give you an idea, right? It was um, have we got a wee, a wee flower or something, right? The oh, I tell you, be with me a minute. I'll be back. Talk amongst yourselves. I'm just trying to find a wee starship thing. Right. Anti-personnel mind, right? Uh, oh, it's not going to work. 
They looked like little shamrocks, right? They're tiny. And uh, I don't... They're that size. Maybe a bit small, but roughly around about that size. But they're, they're like... They're like a little four-panel kind of shamrock. They're tiny, absolutely tiny, right? The purpose of an anti-personnel mine is not to kill. It's not designed to kill. An anti-personnel mine is there to disrupt a unit, right? And the thinking behind an anti-personnel mine is that when somebody stands in it, right, the agony that they go through, because an anti-personnel mine has got a directional explosive in it, right? And... And that explosion goes straight up, right? And what it does is it basically takes your leg off or it takes a huge portion of your leg off. And the idea behind an anti-personnel mine is to basically disrupt a unit because the thinking behind it is when one person goes down, they're screaming in so much agony because they have to put two people from that unit to deal with that person. Not only are you dealing with like the two people that have now got to deal with uh, like um, the, the 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 wounded comrade, right? But you've also got the fear that you've just put into that unit because you know that they're walking through a, a thing and they have to refocus everything. It's a horrible weapon, right? And of course you have landmines, which are more designed for the purpose of blowing up and big things, and of course anti-tank mines delivering doing exactly what it says in the tin, literally that they take out tanks. In Bosnia, there were people throwing mines out all over the place, you know, and the, the anti-personnels used to come in like little tubes, like, you know, those badminton, uh, badminton shellcocks, like that, you get a whole tube of them. And what would happen at night is like when units were working, uh, what was it working, when they were operating out in the field, when they stopped for the night, a lot of them would basically take these mines and literally arm them and throw them, right, in front of them, right? And in the morning, when they woke up, they didn't retrieve them, they just left them and moved off came out, out and they moved around. And these things are fucking tiny. And to this day, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of these, these anti-personnel mines and all the other mines, you know, which are a bit easier to detect because anti-tanks are big things. They're, easy, they're a lot easier to detect. But a lot of the Chinese mines and some of the Czech mines and some of the, the, the mines that have been developed since then, they don't even have any metal in them. They're all plastic. And they're very, very difficult to discover. And... When I was in Bosnia, one of the first things that I had to do was that we had to be taken... We had to sit down in a lecture theatre, well, a small lecture room. And we were given a lecture on these. This is what a mine looks like. This is an antipersonal mine. This is what it does. Here are the photographs. This and we were given... It was like an hour lecture. Um, it was... A, I think it was a French-Canadian guy that gave us the, the, the lecture. He was a... a, a he was from the EOD, um, uh, uh, Explosive Ordnance Department, right? Not, and um, they took us out into this patch of ground that was about, you know, the, the size of my front garden. And it was all grown up with ferns and stuff. And then they took us out and they said, walk through there and see how many you can find, right? Just take a walk. And you went through, there was like a pathway, you went through it. There was, you know, you had a streamed pathway and you would kind of, and you, you had to look for them, right? And I thought I'd done really well, right? I'd gone like, yeah, there's one there and that and that. And it's, it's, you, know, you, you missed about 20, right? And you have, out there as well, you have, you had things where 
I mean, in Bosnia, a lot of people got very, very clever with these mines, right? I mean, it was where a lot of the, the, um, the IODs, the implemented explosive devices, IEDs, I always forget all the acronyms. A lot of them were in, a lot of people learned the, the stuff out there, right? And you would get an anti-personnel over an anti-tank or you, you'd find an area where you go up and you see the mine, right? And you go towards the mine and you miss out the one that's basically two feet to your left, right? And it was, it was creepy, right? And we were told, you never walk on basically uh, soft ground. You never walk on, uh, you only walk on tarmac. Don't walk on the verges because a lot of them, a lot of mines were, were used in, that were used in Bosnia, a lot of them were planted along the verges, right? So they put them along the verges. So when the trucks came by and stuff, people would stand on the verges. Or you had refugees that were walking along the verges along the roads to avoid the traffic and they would stand on mines, you know? And it was, it was scary. And when I came back from Bosnia, right, when I came back, I got so used to looking at my feet, right, and watching wherever I went. It, was, it became a complete mindset. And, um, and I was always watching out for these little plastic shamrocks, these tiny little things in the ground, right? And it, it took me months to get back to, you know, losing that awareness, you know? And, you know... The, 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 those mines were just strewn everywhere. There was a story I heard, right? And I believe it to be very true because I was told by, by a, a sergeant major in Split when we were sitting having a drink one night. And they said that when they did the, the kind of, when the, the, the truce and, and, you know, the, when the truce was all signed and they agreed to step back, they wanted the the landmine maps and under kind of um, international conventions, right? You're supposed to, if you lay mines, you're supposed to mark down on the map where all those mines are, right? And of course, as I said before, you know, people were just throwing them willy-nilly about the place, planting them in places. I mean, even back, even after the war, there were farmers, right, living up in the valleys, right? They were, they were picking up mines. And this, I know one story where a guy actually put an anti-tank mine, right, <laughs> in his garden, his garden gate. He never came through the garden gate, right? But he left the landmine at the, the garden gate to catch anybody that was going to come up the, up the valley and try and shoot him, right? But in Split, when the Croatian army was called, it was, um, they were called into the, the, you know, the meetings and uh, it was the British and Americans, the, the kind of, the, the UN forces said, where's the mine maps? And they said, oh, uh, and the sergeant major said, said to me, he said, like, he said, when they brought the mine maps in, he said, they all went next door to get the mine maps. And then when they came in, he said, the ink on the maps wasn't even dry, right? So they were just, you know, legally they had to produce the mine maps and they were sitting in the back room going, there's someone there, yeah, put a dot there, dot there, like playing battleships, right? And um, they're everywhere. And one of the, the weirdest stories I heard was in Sarajevo. We did, um, uh, we did a show on the, this, this mountain called Mount BJ, not Mount Boris Johnson, but it was called Mount BJ. And Mount BJ was an artillery observation point. It was where France Clammer won the downhill race in the Olympics way back in the 1970s or whatever it was, right? And it overlooked the whole of Sarajevo and the Serbians used it 
as an artillery observation point. So basically they were calling in rounds from artillery positions that were around the hills around Sarajevo, calling them into the sea, right? And they were basically taken off, you know, when, when the UN moved in. I mean, the place was a mess. I mean, there was a massive restaurant. I've, I've got these incredible slides and I should try and get them out and, and dig them out. I've got some amazing photographs of Mount BJ. And it was snowing on the top of that hill, right, you know? And it was it was absolutely bollock freezing, and as I said, on the top of the mountain there was a huge restaurant where, and they had all the the radio towers because all the radio and TV towers because it was the highest place and it was you know used as a transmission zone as, as well as an artillery observation point, and it got fucked, and um, I got these incredible photos of these buildings that are just completely torn apart. The restaurant was gutted; it was all messed up. And when we went up to, to play up there, we were playing to uh, elements of the French Foreign Legion. It was a small detachment of French Foreign Legionnaires and uh, Royal British, uh, Royal Marine Commandos. And um, they were great guys. And they flew us up on a Chinook. Waka, 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 waka. Flew us up from the, the, the base outside Sarajevo, from the headquarters where we were doing the gig that night. We flew us up onto Mount Biji. And they heard the, the Chinook landed, you know, on the um, on the, the side of the mountain, right? And we all jumped off. We, we, well, we came at the tailgate, so the tailgate, the, the, the front rotor was still operating, and we came off the tailgate with the front rotor still off the ground, right? So, you know, and we went up and we did a small acoustic gig in this <laughs> in this bomb blasted restaurant. With a bunch of French foreign legionnaires and and Royal Marine guys. It was only about. 20 guys, 20, 30 guys, they're all standing there looking really like, you know, looking really heavy, you know, and you're up there going, how you doing there? Good to be here, nice to see you. Here's Lucky. Aye, and? <laughs> and at the end, we got them, got them laughing and stuff, and we met up and we had a wee talk with them. The one thing that happened up there, I remember, there was a, there was a, 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 a reverend, <laughs> It was an army chaplain, <laughs> and he was a really nice guy. And, uh, and we, we met him because he was, for some reason, he was based up the top of Mount BJ. And, uh, and he, he, we'd said, he's, 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 a, he's a performer. And he said, you've got to let him perform. So when we were up in the mountain, in the, the bomb dude restaurant, <laughs> with all these heavy-looking dudes, the chaplain got up, and he got an acoustic guitar, and he played Wonderwall. And I will never forget, Wonder, every time I hear Wonderwall, I think of Bosnia, right? And he played Oasis's Wonderwall, and it's like, and your Wonderwall, so... Right? And it was, he was great. He did a really good version, actually. And he wanted to support us that night playing to about 2,000 people, because we, we, when we were in Sarajevo, we were originally supposed to be playing this small gym that only held, held about 200 people or something. We said, look, there's a lot more. And a lot of the guys that we've been talking to said, look, there's a lot of people want to see this gig. So we talked to the authorities and they're letting us play an open-air gig in the Sarajevo, kind of, the grounds of the Sarajevo headquarters. And it was brilliant. And, and the chaplain came down with his guitar. And he got so wound up. This is a wee side story. He got so wound up when he went on stage, he was bished. He'd drunk about a bottle of gin before he went on stage. And he went to He was great. It was a lovely bloke. But Mount BJ, back there. We heard a story about it. So when the Serbs were up there, right, and they were protecting their position, what they did was they just threw shitloads of landmines out. 
in the snow, right? So they threw all these landmines in, uh, uh, anti-personnel anti landmines, all sorts of shit, all round it on the slopes coming up so that if anybody came up, they were going to get tampered with, you know? And they would know they were coming up because you hear a bang, right? And, you know, when we were up there, it was freezing and they had to deliver the water. There was All the pipes were frozen up there and they had to deliver the water on the Chinook. So they used to have these great big... Um, uh, uh, canvas water carriers that had four ropes in them and they bring it up but they were all blocks ice when they brought them up, they up the mound they froze me there and dropped a big block ice there yes for your gin and tonics but the guy said to me he said the thing was that when the snows melted right when the snows melted all the landmines and all the anti-personnel mines all came down the ground and as the water they just fell down and rolled down the hill so at the bottom of the mountain, you had clusters, massive clusters of mines, and they got washed into the river, right? So what happened was that all these anti-personnel mines that are not particularly heavy, because as I said, they're made of plastic, they'd wash into the, the river. And what you got was people were going out fly fishing, like the locals were going out fly fishing in the middle of a river, right? And casting their fly and taking a step, and suddenly, boom, right? They'd be just step on a mine, uh, and it was. Uh, you, I mean, some of you probably can't even get your head around that. You know, the fact that these these weapons of destruction are just you know floating about and lying about in the ground and stuff, and uh, and they're still taking casualties today. There are still people dying in Bosnia today because of of, of the landmines. But after we did the gig, I might be Jay. The helicopter came back, the Chinook, waka, 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 and they did a wee bit of showing off and they let go of the flares. I mean, there was nobody going to be firing at us, but they fired off these flares, was basically to stop any heat-seeking um, heat weaponry that's coming at them. And the army guys are going, ah, fucking pilot bastards. <laughs> and they brought the Chinook up, and we all walked down from the restaurant kind of area, <laughs> the restaurant alleged, right? Walked all the way down, and we were standing on a kind of on a ridge, right? And it was, as I said, it was snowing, so we're standing there, and we've all got our various kind of mishmash of uniforms that we'd picked up in the, the time we were there. So we looked like, you know, a, bedra a bedraggled bunch of kind of like, you know, sudden gorillas. And um, and I remember when the Chinook came in, we're all standing there, and of course the wash of the roads, like, right? And Yatta. Right, Yata was standing there and he had a, a jacket on and it suddenly ballooned up in the air. The air went under the jacket and he's, he went up like that. And suddenly he was going over the edge of the, the small path that was on this ridgeline. And two army guys basically jumped at him and rugby tackled him, right? And pinned him to the ground on the rotor wash. Because they said, if you'd fallen down there, you were basically falling into a minefield. And I never, I always, you, you sit there going, like, what the fuck? Right? And, you know, throughout our whole time in Bosnia, we just kept on coming across more and more stories and, and you know, and you, you really uh, became aware of it. And when I came back, like I said, I wrote this song with uh, Sherry and Tim. And um, the thing is that the Bosnians and uh, the locals, right, they would mark where the, the mines were, and they all had their little individual markings. And one of the markings, right, for if, if they found a mine, right, they, they basically marked it for the neighbours or for passers-by, right, and went, 
as if in here is a mine. Some would be like, for example, just a stick with a Coca-Cola can on it, or it might be. But the tilted cross was one of the one of the warning signs that they had for to identify there was a mine position there, and and that's what I wrote about. And um, it's um. There's a message that's been left in the long grass by a stranger who's passed this way before, planted seed from which we reap a bitter harvest from his long forgotten war. I left my love in a grave and I marked it with a cross that will stand so straight and true. It's not alone in the shade of the valley of what remains of the ones we once knew. Walk with me, my child, but tread softly on this earth. Keep a close eye where your feet they touch the ground. Watch out for the signs and heed what they say. One false step and all is lost in the land of the Tilted Cross. And that was what it was. It was, the song was all about mines. And we actually contacted, because Princess Diana had been involved, I think it was called Halo, which was a big anti-mine movement. It was all to do, it funded uh, mine clearance programs. And I actually came across, when I was in Vietnam, I actually spent a night with a bunch of mine clearance guys. I had a brilliant night. But they were needing the money. and. Um, and I said, well, I'd, I'd like to get involved because I, I felt quite passionately about it at the time because I, I felt, you know, you know, it just it wasn't just an article on the TV, you know, having been there and gone through that psychological mindset of walking on ground that you're completely unsure of, that, you know. I want to get involved and we contacted them and I met up with that French football player that played for Spurs. I can't remember his name. And um, we wanted to meet him because we said, look, you know, you know, take the song, you, you know, use the song and, and, and use it to, to get it. And I'm quite happy to get involved. And I didn't even meet him. Didn't even meet the guy. He was, uh, uh, we were basically shoved off and it never happened. And the song kind of disappeared. And it's, it's a song that kind of, it's one of my favourites of, of all the songs, basically all my songs I've written. It's, it's, it's way up there because I love it. And as I said, it's just, you know, the tilted cross. But I think it was like, it's the end lines, you know. Um, they lie beneath the needles of the forest in the fields where only shadows dare to play, washed down from the slopes of the mountains in the spring when the snow melts away. So be sure when you go on your journey, carry sticks, mark the place where they are found. Make a cross and be sure that it's tilted so that others don't step on this ground. Walk with me, my child, but tread softly on this earth. Keep a close eye where your feet touch the ground. Watch out for the signs and heed what they say. One false step and all is lost in the land of the tilted cross. In the last three lines, I left my love in a grave and I marked it with a cross that stands so straight and true. And I... Uh, it was powerful and I remember being, taking a big emotional hit when we first sung it and I've loved singing it. It's a very, it's a song that, that brings out a lot of passion and stuff. And this is where I find the bit, I find it. Hey, hey. Oh, it's gone off. Ow, 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 ow. Uh, what are you doing? Oh, I don't want to 
money, no date. Fuzzy. What is it with this thing? He said, what is it? He said, every time we do fishing for you, I prepare it, I set it up, do the bit. As soon as they go live, this happens. It's like Murphy's bloody law. It's, this is not done for humour, by the way. This is not done for humour. They're open. Right, there's the album. It's a CG. Put it in. Shut the wee drawer. Load, read. There's more than three tracks in this. What's the This is a CD. Right, okay, let's find another way to do it. Oh, bollocks. Oh, Dan, mm -hmm. can you talk to him for a minute while I find out another version too? Come on, you gotta help me out. Why is this not happening? Don't worry. Someone will talk to you about stuff. Close side where your feet may touch the ground. 
Watch out for the signs and heed what they say. One false step and all is lost. In the land of the tilted cross. trouble playing this video. I'm having trouble playing the bloody CD. What is it? I'm cursed. No, seriously, I'm like, me and technology, just, it doesn't happen, man. Right, come in. What's the questions? Here we go. Come on. Ah, Mark Gankinson, amazing Bosnian stories tonight. Thank you for sharing with us. I can't, yeah. Yeah, I made a lot of friends out there. In fact, I will honestly go as far to say as that Bosnia tour that I did in, in 96 was one of the most incredible eye-opening experiences and one of the greatest 
tours that I ever did. It's a whole embracing experience. It opened my eyes in such a way. I mean, I've got hundreds of Bosnia stories, and there's, I know there's, there's some guys that are, that are on here, you know, tonight that, like, you know, we met up down there, and uh, I made a lot of uh, friends, and I learned a lot, and it made me... Anyway, you know, people have had a go at me about, you know, perhaps being, you know, blind with this whole the, the Trump-Biden-American stuff or Brexit or whatever. Bosnia really made me aware of the differences in the, the media approaches, the media's approach to things. I mean, you know, when I went down there and you hear stories and, and being part of it and you were aware that the media just walked away from it because, you know, it was like, it was boring now. It was, yeah, yeah, it was still going on, right? It was all still going on. They were still dealing with, you know, reforming. And, you know, one of the worries at the moment is that there's a lot of issues going on with the refugees and things. And I was reading just last week about problems at the Croatian border and things. And um, it ain't gone away. This hasn't gone away. There are still... Um, there's still a lot of resentment. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of historical bitterness and revenge is still at the front of a lot of people's minds down there and it's it's quite scary you know and I have to say Bosnia was one of the most beautiful countries that I've ever been in it was an it's an absolutely amazingly beautiful country right and to watch it devastated like that through that war you know and and what happened after? As I said, I've got loads of stories. And the autobiography, there's probably about... I could write a book on just what happened in Bosnia alone to us. And I was I was only there for, for just less than a couple of weeks. I was just short of getting a civilian medal, actually. But it was a... Well, but I started to study it when I came back. And that was one of the instances where I started to read a lot of... I started to read up a lot of history. I wanted to find out the background. And... And then go back to Bosnia again, and go to Kosovo as well. It was uh, through all that. It was it was incredible, and it's um, and I love playing for the army, and it was, and I really developed a whole respect for the British army, and what they were doing down there. And as I said, there was a lot of dark stories, a lot of very very dark stories, and um, and I met some incredible people, incredible people that were doing. Just a, a, a truly wonderful job in in going away from their own families and being out there to look after other other people, and it's only an hour and forty five minutes away, and that was what got me. That was why I wrote the the, the, the song, which maybe go up for a vote. As um, the the one that I wrote with Stephen Wilson, um, yeah, please don't walk outside this area. It was uh, that that was what it was about. Getting on a flight from Split. And an hour and 45 minutes later, or an hour and 20 minutes later, whatever it was, you were in London. And uh, that was kind of, that was creepy. Alan Bartley, two tours, yeah. Anyway, it's nine minutes. Darling, would you would you like to, what, oh yeah, I, I don't need to ask you what's for tea time. Have, you, have we ordered the curry yet? No. We've ordered it, so what have I got? Uh, we've got a uh, lamb jalfrezi. A lamb jalfrezi. Jalfrezi king prawn. A lot. You've got a Jalfrezi king prawn? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
it's been great. We've been going through the chilies through there. It's because of all the chilies that we grew last year. And I need to get them planted up. I need to get a hold of some naga seeds and things. It's a couple of bits and pieces. Uh, Owen Boyle, my nephew, did a tour there and he was really affected by it. Yes, it affected... I don't think you could go down there and... Uh... Oh, yeah, Richard Llewellyn. Did you meet James Blunt? He was posted there. James Blunt, I think, was in uh, um, the Princess of Wales tank regiment, I seem to remember. And I, I did... I actually went out on a challenger. I don't know if it was... Maybe Blunt was there. I don't know, maybe we met before. If I ever bump in again, I'll ask him. Did I go to your tank, mate? <laughs> yeah. I what, darling? I have a few... I have some chili seeds to give away. Oh, yeah. I can smuggle it in the parcels. It's not much. It's <laughs> all I feel, but I need to know... Who's... Ma Richardson, yeah. It's going to be... It's, we're getting there. We're getting there. Oh. Yeah, it's cool. Oh, Chris Harris, love Kimanan. Yo! David McElroy, good luck with the delivery. Places are slammed due to the changes in pickups. Uh, Mike Phillips, a job phrase, you'll keep out the snow and the cold. Yes, Elaine Bithree, I'll play another tune. I'll set it up. Talk amongst yourselves. It was, um, I want to finish with this because it's kind of where I'm at. And there's, um, I want to play Alright, this bit of bloody work. <laughs> nearly lost the remote there, nearly did. Yeah. And I want to find out where that bloody plaguey ghost is what there. Eight. Lord! Oh, give me a break. <laughs> oh, you bastard. There's nothing in. Open. What is it with this thing? It's no recognised, no read of the discs. Let me hear 
Fishing Friday draws the clues. Oh, wow! It's kind of it's it's kind of when I, when I looked at the board today and I looked at the, the FOFs on on the Fridays and things, and uh, we're going back. We're going to have to do something really special for the anniversary. Maybe Grendel on the anniversary. <laughs> nah. It's done. Um, like I said, my mum got vaccinated a couple of weeks back. I was supposed to be going. I got a, I got a call from the hospital. I was supposed to be going in for my operation. 
And he phoned up and said, because uh, I'd said, like, if there's a, a date comes up in advance, then let me know. And they phoned up and said, well, you can go in on, I think it was like, uh, it, was, it was like the first week of February. And I've got to go, I've got to go in self-isolation for two weeks before I'm going to hospital. I've got to get a COVID test done two days before. And then I've got to go in at 7.45 to the Western General, right? And they phoned me up the other day and said, well, can you do that? I said, I can't do that. And I'm still nervous. I'm still nervous about... I mean, I am nervous about going into hospital and at this time. I mean, not the operation. I mean, the operation is like the operation is, right? And, uh, but I'm worried about my mum and, you know... I mean, even on, on Tuesday, I never mentioned this before, but it was like, you know... And Simona was taken ill on Tuesday and I was really worried because she was absolutely exhausted. I spent the whole day in bed and she was kind of sweating and I, there was a thing clicking in my head going like, oh, fuck no. And, uh, you know, I, you know, we have to go to Tesco's and we, we take care. You know, we wear masks all the time when we're out. We're always wearing, we're, we're always washing our hands and, you know, we're really good. I mean, even the guys, even though the builders are working at the back of the extension of the bathroom, I don't need them. I see them through a window and anybody that comes here, you know, Rab doesn't come in anymore. It's just us, you know, but even so, you know, you're going to Tesco's and like someone went down on Tuesday and I'm going, oh, for fuck's sake, please, you know. And I've got my mum through there and she's only had her first vaccination and stuff. And then I got a phone call from the hospital saying, like, can you come in? And I'm going, look, I said, can I just wait? You know, I've still got a few weeks. Just give me another date. I know I've said that I'll take the first date that comes along, but this is just the, the right time. And, uh, and then I got a call back later and said, can you do the 16th? And I went, yeah, I can do the 16th. And then he phoned me back 10 minutes later after arranging all the times in the COVID test and said the surgeon's in the Royal that day, not in the Western General, and like, blah, 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 and we'll change it. Then I get a letter through that says, you've been removed from the waiting list, right? And it's like, and it was from the, the what was it? Uh, infectious diseases. And it was like from infectious diseases, da, 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 you've been removed from the waiting I went, I didn't realise I had an infectious disease. <laughs> I don't have an infectious disease. I've got a problem on my ass. <laughs> but seemingly... Colonorectal and infectious diseases actually come into the same department. <laughs> so anyway, so I'm now, and I, they said they've removed I'm on the phone going, please don't take me off. I'm, I'm, I really want to come in, but just not now. Just, I've still got another six weeks before I'm out of the, the pre-op thing, so I don't know what's happening. And it's like, yeah, I'm, you know. But I mean, the news of the, the variant and stuff and like, and, you know, we did, we're, we're hearing from people in Germany as well that the UK variant, which is the one that came out of Kent, which is kind of rampant and is the, the, main, the, 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 the main strain or the predominant strain now. And it's not even hit Germany yet. And, uh, and you know, it's still kind of relatively isolated. But, you know, this then South Africa. Oh, it's just, that's my annoying. But, you know, I'm here, I'm in the house, it's snowing outside and, you know, it's warm. We've got the fire on, you know. Yeah, well, I'm getting screwed right, left and centre and I'm getting, you know, the table, you know, the, the legs kicked off, off the table that we eat on and like, but I'll deal with it, you know. I've been through worse, you know. It's it's a war wound. <laughs> I can deal with it. It's like, you know, I'll, I'll find a way through. That's what I do. It's, it's one of the things. I always, I'm a kind of person, you know, my, you know, there's no such thing as a problem. There's only a solution. It might sound really simplified, but like, you know, you just got to find solutions, you know. And that's what I do, and um, and that's what I'm going to do, and that's what we all have to do. And, you know, it was great to hear that the R rate had dipped in the UK down, I think it's 0 0.8, 0 0.8 to 1 or something, where it was 1.4, but, I mean, you can't relax, and this is what I fucking hate. 
it's like, you know, it's like, you know, da -da -da, let's open up the pubs. You know, like, oh, it's great. We're all right now. Let's open up the pubs. You know? And it's, uh, no. I'm quite happy to sit here for another four weeks and, and deal with it as I'm dealing with it, while we're dealing with it. Simona, Liam, my mum and I deal with it. I'm quite happy. I'll take... I'll take the isolation and I'll, I'll I'll take this and you know I'll take it because unless we we get it sorted out and get the R rate all the way down and get completely commanding it and have the track and trace systems there and have the vaccinations out there running running running, it was brewing news today. It was an, the Scottish government announced today that ninety five percent of the staff in, in in care homes are now vaccinated, which is fantastic. That's brilliant, and um and last week I think it was eighty percent of the. 80% was uh, the, the people in care homes. We're getting there. It's going to take a while and we've got to be patient and fuck the pubs. I'm sorry. You work in the... And I appreciate I appreciate what's happening in the restaurant industry. I appreciate what's happening in, in, in the hostelry industry. I'm appreciating everything that's going on. There are people out there in worse shit than, than I am. Like, really bad shit. And I appreciate that. And my heart goes out to them, right? And, um, but we have to kind of carry on because until... We take the until we we get this under right down until we get these vaccinations running up. It ain't going to work, and there's no point in going. When's lockdown going to end? I get really fucking pissed off at journalists asking politicians. Right, I'm watching Nicola Sturgeon, you know our first minister up there, going and somebody goes, "Well, so when do you think it's going to be going to be off?" We don't know. Nobody knows. You know why are you asking and prolonging it? It's like. You know, it always makes me think of like kids in the back of the car when you're on holiday going, Mum, Dad, when are we going to be at the beach? Then when are we going to be at the beach? When are we going to be at the beach? It's just over the hill, son. Just over the hill. And that's what we've got to do. Just take it. Because if you take it now, it means that we can get things under control and start moving forward. Glastonbury was cancelled today. That was a big marker. A big marker. Glastonbury going down. He's like, that means no festivals, right? That's no festivals in the summer, right? And... We just have to take it. You know, there's no point in bitching and moaning. And the same way is like, you know, yeah, I'm pissed off about the about the touring situation. I can do something about that. I can put pressure on the government and so can you by signing, you know, by signing that, um, by signing the list and saying that you're unhappy with it. You know, in the same way as with the postage stuff. Yeah, we can make our voices. We don't have to get violent. We don't have to have riots. We don't have to have marches on Whitehall, but we can make our voices heard and keep the pressure on them, right, to change it. They dropped us in the shit on the 31st of December and they need to get it sorted out and they need to rethink some things, right? Even if it means upsetting people, and that's the problem with the present government, is they're trying so hard not to upset people, right? Especially the people that that wanted this out. Fair enough, right? But we're all trying to keep our shit here together, right? And uh, we'll do our bit and I will wear my mask and I will keep two, three metres away from everybody and I will wash my hands and I will do everything and everybody else needs to fucking do that. Right? Until we get it all sorted out. Right? And um, that's it. I'm running. You didn't even ring the bell there. You should have rung I the... Nearly, you nearly, nearly rung the bell. Nearly, nearly rung the bell. Too many. Too many swear words. Sorry. Your dad will be upset. Mm -hmm. Look. We're all in it together. And we all got to look after each other. And, and basically take responsibility. And as I've always said, let common sense rule what we do and think about others don't think about yourself don't think about you know th think about other people you know and uh and that's it that's another fishing friday you know it was uh hope i didn't upset everybody with that <laughs> right 
yeah, you should see me when I really get going in real life. Yeah, when you're actually in a room with me and I go like this. <laughs> you don't come out bear for nothing. Until next week, the next Fishing Friday, um, we'll get sorted out. Hopefully I'll have more news and better news for you next week. I'll talk about the Fugazi thing next week because I didn't do it this week. Until next week, Slange Navarre. Take care and stay alive and look after yourself and look after the others around you. Okay, bye.